This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season is better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. The world isn't wide enough. Get immersed in the expansive views of the 48-inch customizable panoramic display in the all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid. Explore more at Lincoln.com. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRider.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin. I'm a senior technical editor here at BikeRadar.com and MBK Magazine. Joining us today in our first tech Q&A of the year is Luke Marshall. He's our technical writer on all things mountain bike. And also Rob Weaver. He's our technical editor-in-chief across road and mountain bike. How are we doing, guys? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah. Yeah, very well, thanks, Tom. All good. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. We'll get on to the meat of our uh, tech Q&A in a little bit with a little note on what we're doing with our tech Q&As through the year soon. But first off, Luke, how are you getting on? What are you up to? What have you been doing? Yeah, I'm all good, Tom. Um, The start of the year, I've just been getting familiar with my new long-term bike. Mm. So this year, I've managed to pick up a Canyon Strive CFR Underdog. Um, So it comes in just a little bit under £5,000. Um, full Shimano XT throughout, Fox Performance Elite Suspension Forks, 38s on there, um, Fox Performance X2 Shock. So it's pretty kitted out. And mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, it was a, a bike I tested last year when they launched it and um, and it impressed me and I was keen to try and spend a bit more time on it. So yeah, stoked that I, um, I got to have this for my long-term bike. Cool. And, uh, and then also been testing... Um, a brand we haven't featured very often, a kind of a newish brand, but Rosignol. So uh, their new 140 mil travel trail bike and uh, been spending a bit of time on that as well. Excellent. With the with the Canyon, it's interesting because CFR is like, sounds for Canyon Factory Racing, right? And they, when, when they started doing these CFR bikes, they were like the super top end models, the one that's cost a lot of money, fancy carbon. But this is the underdog one and it's only five and a bit grand. So how does that work? Is it, 
have they just decided to run the supers like I don't know? Seems so, a bit of a contradiction in terms. Uh, yeah, so there's two models in the new Strive CFR. So they both use Canyon CFR Carbon. Um, this has a slightly lower spec, and the CFR oh, well, yeah, R, yeah, yeah. Uh, it has um, is a higher spec. Okay. So that gets uh, Fox Factory Forks, um, XTR, some mm. race face components as well. They have introduced a, I forget the name of it now, a limited edition SRAM equipped bike as well. Okay. Um, Flight attendant. I don't know the spec on it. To uh, be honest, I think it's a coil shot. I think it comes with a coil shot, doesn't it? Yeah, it I, I haven't fancy. looked into it, but um, but it's they are producing the Strive as it's almost like a race only bike, dedicated Enduro bike. So they just have it the highest spec they can do in terms of their frame. Nice, Rob. What are you getting on with at the moment? Well, so like Luke, I also have my long term bike, which has now been built up. Um, I got a little bit ill mm-hmm. uh, at the tail end of Christmas, so I didn't really get to ride it a whole lot. Um, I did go out on it a couple of weeks ago. So it's a new proof Giga, but it has an EXT shock mm. and a Zeb Ultimate fork and a few other bits and pieces, which I sort of picked. And uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. I rode it in the torrential rain. So even then it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then actually last week I did a little thing, which was uh, a gravel bike versus a mountain bike. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tiring. Yeah. Yeah, but which is in- interesting stuff. Well, the thing I think one one you feel really controlled on, but it's hard work to pedal uphill, mm. and the other easier uphill, a little bit more of a nu- white knuckle ride on the way down. But I tell you what, seriously capable. But I'll let you guys um, decide which one I'm talking about. Uh, you can watch the video when whoa. it comes out. Oh, nice. there's a teaser. A friend of mine um, back around sort of Christmas, New Year, or maybe Black Friday. Nukeproof were had a really good sale on when they're selling the mega frames carbon ones with the XT shocks for like sixteen seven hundred quid. So a mate of mine picked up one with the the, the AXT coil shock on, and it looks looks right spangly. It does. Yeah, yeah, it's lucky boy. Okay, Tom, but what have you been doing? Uh, that's quite a good question, Rob. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember <laughs> what I've been doing. <laughs> um, I've been starting on our bike of the year test. So. Um, as many of our listeners will know, we run Bike of the Year across road and mountain bikes. Uh, I often do the trail bikes. I always do the trail bikes when I'm doing my trail bikes. So I uh, had my first day on them last week. Um, so I took four bikes out to the Forest of Dean, set them all up, getting all the the sag right and the, the compression dials and all that sort of jazz. All the uh, handlebars rolled the right way and the brake levers in the right position. Uh, and then I did a quick lap on each of the bikes. Um, so I'm now uh, full bore on Bike of the Year. Found a winner. Do you know what? <laughs> yep, easy. Usually, there's always like a couple of bikes even at the start of the process. You're like, yeah, that's probably going to be up there. And there's always a few bikes that you're like, no, nah, that's definitely almost not going to be up there. Uh, and this year, um, of all the bikes that I know are coming, there isn't any that either really stand out in good or bad ways. Like there's some bikes that I know are great. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean it in a positive sense. I think all eight bikes that are going to the test probably all have a, a potential shout at being up there in the top three or four. So what you're saying is it's, it's really hard. Be, <laughs> we really say it every year. It. It's been the hardest year. It, honestly, <laughs> I'm just going to copy and paste. <laughs> All my copy from the past few years is just going to be copy and pasted. Um, but yeah, fun and games. Um, so yeah, no, looking forward to a, um, a late winter of uh, rattling around Bike Park Wales and the Forest of Dean. 
Nice. So, okay, so we'll we'll uh, we'll crack on with our tech Q and A. So this year we're going to mix up our tech Q and As a little bit. So previously we did a little melange of different questions covering all sorts of comments and questions in one podcast. But this year we're going to be a little bit more focused, uh, and we're going to pick a particular kind of topic for each episode of our tech Q and A. So we're going to kick off this one with mountain bike suspension questions. But that means in the coming months we are also going to look at road bike drivetrains and mountain bike drivetrains. Those are the next two which are going to run in February and March. So if you've got any questions about group sets, whether that's for your mountain bike or your road bike, send them into podcast at bikeradar.com and we'll do our best to answer them in the next couple of months. But yes, as mentioned, we're going to crack on with suspension. Now, Luke has just finished the MBUK suspension fork group test. Um, So he is well adept at talking about suspension forks and suspension settings because he's very good at that. And Rob has been setting up suspension for as long as suspension has existed, almost. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, um, it might be true. It probably is. It probably is as well. Oh, probably last as much onwards. Um, and I, I, I'm good at asking questions. Uh, so that's my job for the day, which is handy. Um, so we'll crack on with our first question. Uh, now, we've had uh, an email from a guy called Mike who says... I've got a Calibre Bosnet, great bike, uh, that I've been upgrading over time. Uh, it's got a new SRAM drivetrain, it's got some Mavic wheels on there, uh, and well, it was like a race face cockpit. It says, I want to change the forks to something longer travel. It has 130mm travel forks, so I was thinking 150 or 160mm will give me a bit more performance. Can you suggest some decent forks for five to £600 to suit? Uh, Luke, I think you took some notes on this and you've got some thoughts. Yeah, I did. So first of all, uh, a couple of points to make out that upgrading from a 130 mil fork to a 150 or 160 mil fork is going to make a a significant difference to your bike and potentially in in two negative ways. One, it's going to alter the geometry. And also, if your bike hasn't been designed to take such a long travel fork, you could potentially damage the frame doing it. So I would suggest you probably don't go for a 160, 150mm travel fork when you're upgrading from a 130. Mm-hmm. So if you add 10 millimeters to the fork travel, if you keep all things cons- like equal, um, you're roughly going to increase the height at the front end by about 7mm, increase the bottom bracket height 3 or 4mm, slacken the effective seat tube angle and the head tube angle by about half a degree as well. So you do alter the geometry by changing the forks on the front of your bike. And if you go too far, you're going to negatively affect it. Mm-hmm. And then the second point, and, and maybe more crucial, is that if your bike hasn't been designed around a 160 or 150 fork and you add that on there, you're increasing quite a lot of leverage to the head tube. And again, if if the frame doesn't have the strength to handle that, then there's a the potential to be able to damage irreparably the uh, the front of your bike. So It'll snap off. Yeah. And, and void the warranty. And void the warranty, yeah. So so those two points are worth taking into consideration. So potentially, you know, if he's looking to upgrade for a bit more um, performance to the front of the bike, you, by keeping travel similar, maybe go to a 140 fork if the, if the frame can spec that. Um, but you can increase the stanchion diameter. Mm-hmm. On the Boss Nut, it has a 32 millimeter diameter fork for the okay. stanchion. So you could increase that probably to a, a 34 with the potential Fox fork or a 35 with a RockShox fork or, or other brands as well. So if you're looking to find like the 500, 600 pound mark, there are actually some great bargains online recently. So I just did a quick check and, and you can get 
And while you might not get the latest model year, you can still get some top of the line tech. So for £600, roughly, you can, well, for roughly £600, you can get a RockShock Pike Ultimate, the RC2 with the Charger 2.1 damper, mm. which a few years ago was yeah, the top spec fork out there. And so arguably some ways like one of the best forks available for a, a trail bike. So that's a good option. And if you're a Fox fan for around £500, as a, a Fox 34 performance model. So that's another good option. Um, there's also brands DVO, Manito, the Matuk do like great 130, 140 mil travel forks. So that Manito features the same spring as I just tested in the Enduro fork, the Meza Expert, and it's a really good quality fork. Mm -hmm. So, so there, there's plenty of options out there. But yeah, the big point away is if, you, if you're looking to upgrade, don't go crazy on increasing the travel because chances are it's uh, we'll do more damage to your frame than it's worth. So in, in your answer there, you sort of talked about stanchion size. Uh, so for the uninitiated, what do you mean by that? And what's the benefit of making a stanchion size bigger? And what is a stanchion? Okay, so a stanchion is the part of the fork that the lower legs slide over. Okay, so on a, so, on a it might be the black or the gold tubes that go inside the, the lower lugs. Exactly, yeah, yeah. The upper tubes is what many brands the, refer to them as. The upper tubes, yeah, we call them the upper tubes. Increasing the damage of those tends to increase the stiffness um, while still being able to keep the weight moderate. Okay. Um, obviously, chunkier forks become heavier and burlier, but they also become stiffer. So they give you more direct handling in techie terrain. Okay. And... Uh, but again, that, that stiffness has to go somewhere. If it, the fork doesn't bend, it might, you know, stretch out your frame if it's not mm -hmm. designed to accommodate them. So generally speaking, a, a, a bigger diameter stanchion fork is better on a trail and enduro bike because you want that stiffness. Exactly, yeah. Cool. So it makes a palpable, it's an upgrade. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, so basically, yeah, don't upgrade the travel, upgrade the quality of the fork, the damper, the spring, and the burliness of the fork to make it handle better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for Rob, would you add anything to that? No, I think um, Luke's covered that really well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty much ticked all the main boxes. Like you said, it, even um, little things like it, it might not be the case on this particular bike, but uh, if anyone else is listening that has maybe like a quick release axle, mm -hmm. even just shifting up to a through axle will make a difference in terms of that connection. The downside is that you may need to replace your hub yeah. at the front. But it's it's those sorts of things. It's not necessarily going down the route of bigger is going to be better. Mm -hmm. It is looking at those refinements rather than that all-out wholesale shift. Cool. And if it was you, Rob, with you know, 500 quid, 600 quid, would you go for, say, a bigger brand fork, RockShox or Fox, for example, from two or three years ago, or a brand new fork from a brand that maybe is a little bit more value-orientated as a 2023 fork? I think I'd probably look at some slightly older model year forks from the big brands that mm -hmm. we you know I, I mean we're fortunate enough to have ridden lots of them and i still think that we'll have favorites in our heads maybe from mm. two or three years ago and there's genuinely there was nothing wrong with those forks they were they were fantastic and all that's happened is slowly incrementally things you've shifted changed you know the arguably especially if you look at enduro for example the way the bikes have ridden has changed slightly and the bikes are therefore changing as well. So that that previous crop of forks that were existing back then, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're mm -hmm. still brilliant forks and completely relevant. Um, it just so happens now you can get them for a lot less money, which cool. is great. 
Nice. Um, I guess the only thing I'd add is, you know, if you are going to change the forks, just check sort of the old compatibility of uh, your current wheel. Um, we don't actually know how old this Bosnet is. So it, as you said, it might have come with QR. It might be non-boost potentially, but unlikely, I guess. Um, but just keep an eye on things like the hub spacing, the hub axle diameter, you know, and your, your brake mounts and all that sort of stuff, because things do change over time. Well, also worth pointing out, not all um, head tubes will be tapered as well. Yes. So Although I guess the Bosnet. The boss nut was, I think, yeah. but just as a general, general point, I think some some of the older, potentially older frames might still just be a straight head tube. So it's another thing just to be mindful of. Yeah. The other stuff, um, this, that question and where we sort of ended up going with the stanchions actually ties in quite nicely with the next question, uh, which is a couple of years ago, we we're all riding 36 mil stanchion forks, but now Fox and RockShox have 38 mil stanchions on their bigger forks. How far will it go for single crown forks? And really, will I notice any benefit? 36 mil seemed fine for all of us in the past. And I guess I'd add to that, you know, the EWS was always raced with 36 mil stanchion forks. So... And 35. And 35, no of course. Yeah. So yeah, is is this move to 38, is it worth it? Why are we doing it? What's the point? So Luke's already touched on mm. this already, but the the sort of, I guess the goal for the most part is to create a stiffer chassis. So it's less likely to flex under heavy loads, cornering, landings, all of those things, and therefore feel more accurate on the trail. So what's going on beneath your tire, you can feel directly through your hands. Um, and also... Another goal is obviously to create less binding. So when the fork, um, when the uh, the upper tubes are trying to slide down into the um, lower tubes, if they're binding, that friction means that it's not going to move as smoothly as it possibly can, therefore going to potentially feel less sensitive under compression. So by stiffening that up, it should hopefully improve that interface and make it a bit more, a bit more sensitive and supple. Um, at the minute, you can go all the way up to 180 mil with Fox Fork on the 38, and all the way to 190, um, 190 mil of travel mm. on a single crown Zeb, which seems kind of crazy. I mean, World Cup downhill forks are often what 200 mil. Yep. So. Yep. So it's, it's pretty crazy how far mm. it's gone. Um, most enduro bikes are probably going to be around 160 to 180, I would imagine, um, on on the sort of the world scene. Whether you need that or not is, I, I sort of think, you know, still up for debate. I mean, we'll all talk about how many people are riding bikes with far too much travel for them. Mm. Anyway, whether you need the biggest, burliest fork, which essentially could just be plugged into a downhill bike. You know, that's, you know, it's a whole nother sort of Didn't they compete debate to be at, um, Rampage on single crown? Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, Seminet used the single crown so he could do his bar spins and, and all of that malarkey. So... It just goes to show how tough they are now, mm -hmm. which, you know, I think previously you might not have seen a 36 or a Lyric out there. So Lyric was 35 mil chassis and uh, 36, obviously 36 mil chassis. So the big thing that we found since that switch is that, especially for lighter riders, the the stiffer fork doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be um, a more forgiving fork. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's fair to say the old Lyric was a firm favorite of ours over the last sort of few years where 35 mil stanchions um nice supple spring and damper and just yeah very forgiving you could ride long tracks without your hands feeling like they're about to fall off at the end um i don't necessarily think that's totally true of all the modern 38 forks where they there is a fair bit more feedback that the chassis doesn't have as much inbuilt flex so therefore 
you do feel a bit more through your hands. So it's not necessarily a a massive benefit. So if um, our listener is wondering whether they need to make that switch, I would say it all depends on the intent. What are they looking to do? If they're moving out to the Alps, then yeah, maybe it's going to be rougher, faster, and all of those things will have an impact. But if they're just doing what they've always done, and they want to maintain that sort of uh, a bit of flex and the comfort and that, I would say just go and get your fork service. Mm-hmm. The benefit of having a service is almost immeasurable. You know, the fact that you can speak to someone and professionally tune it and make sure it's exactly, um, the the make sure the damper's completely tuned to exactly what it is you're after, set for your weight, all of those things, that's going to far outweigh just going out and buying a bigger, chunkier fork. Mm-hmm because you think it's going to be the, the better option. Mm. Do you think we're going to see a 40 mil stanchion single crown fork? and Or do you think we're going to see riders who maybe would be after that or riders who are riding a Zeb or a, a 38 moving to a dual crown fork for enduro? Well, weren't the totems, weren't they 40? They? they were 40, weren't they? I can't remember what they were, but they were burly. Yeah, I think the, I think the totems might have right. been 40. So that was a sort of uh, free ridey fork, yeah. probably... 2008, 2010 mm. time, I think, around mm-hmm. then. Who knows? Maybe. Mm. I, I Head feel, of the game. Well, it feels like it feels like um it feels like the 38, as long as you've got the damper and the spring right, could potentially be that sort of happy medium. Um for a single crown, I can't see it going any further. Well, at least for the next two or three years. Yeah. Uh, and whether Brands are going to continue to spec a 190 mil fork on their Endura bikes. It's not many do. I think mm-hmm. I can name one maybe, which was white last year, but I'm pretty sure they're changing it for this year. Bring it down to 180. Yeah. So whether we're going to see more of that in the future, I'm not too sure. Okay. Possibly. You test a lot of Endura bikes, Rob. You know, you're doing our Endura bike test of the year. And if, if you got a bike in that came with a 36 or came with a Lyric instead of a 38 or a, or a Zeb, would that be a, a black mark against it now or would that be? No, it's totally fine. Yeah. yeah, as long, like I said, as long as the spring and the damper work really well, for me, because I am i haven't grown since I was 12, mm. um, <laughs> it's, I, I'm all for the comfort. You know, yeah. I, I get pinged around a bit because I am quite light and quite small. So having a bit more flex in there is totally fine. So to play devil's advocate then, it feels like maybe those those new forks are built specifically really for like the real hard charging races and not the everyman? Possibly. Mm. Possibly when they set out to do it. But you can see, you know, I I, I understand the appeal and why people are, would sort of, you know, lean towards them. But yeah, I think faster riders and heavier riders, arguably it may benefit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some, some racers on the EWS or now EDR series in the past when these forks did come around would stick to the skinnier legged forks if uh-huh. they could simply down to that comfort factor because they were smaller therefore they could see the benefit in comfort grip all of those things but that's why i think we're going to see so much in terms of uh tuning and what's possible with these bigger forks now just to make them as comfy mm-hmm. as the other ones but also then have the benefits of the fact they do have a, a stiffer chassis nice. Have you noticed any difference in testing them, Luke? What's, what have you found? Well, yeah, I must say, like, just finishing up the MBUK Endurance Forks test and the 
the fork that came out on top had 35 mil stanchions. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like Robin. I'm, I'm not the heaviest rider out right there. I'm a bit more chunky than Robin. But for the 35, 36 mil damper stanchion forks, I, I don't notice any like major binding or twisting or flexing during high load compressions mm-hmm. or berms or anything like that. So I can I can get away with those uh, the skinnier forks and, and it's not a disadvantage to me. And then it's more down to the performance of the spring and the feel of the damper. Like the the, the Canyon Strive I'm on now, it has a 38 fork on there and I'm not going to take it off just because, oh, it's a chunky 38 mm-hmm. fork. You know, I can, I can ride that fork and it's accurate and it handles well and it's and I've noted to change it. But if it came with a 36, I, I probably wouldn't change that either. If it, yeah. I wouldn't go out of my way to say I have to have the 38. But again, I'm a lighter rider. I think if you're closer to the 100 kilo mark, 90, 100 kilos, then, then maybe the 35 mil forks have a bit too much mm-hmm. uh, flex built into them. And in certain situations, then they're probably not getting the performance out of the fork that you could if you had a chunkier stanchion, a, a Zeb or a 38, yeah. for example. So. I guess like if you if we were riding sort of fairly hard charging on a trail bike with a 34 mil stanchion fork, you might start to feel that that was a little bit skinny. Yeah. yeah, in the same way. Yeah, it's those instances where maybe you're, I don't know, riding down something really steep and hitting a turn really fast at the end, like a catch berm or something like that. And I think it's when you're riding a fork that feels maybe a little bit out of its depth, mm. maybe a bit too skinny, maybe a bit short on travel. It feels like it's tucking under a little bit. You're about to just you know, fly out the front door. And I think that's where the bigger forks help give you that confidence. Mm-hmm. There is just that sort of solid feeling at the front of the bike. So I totally understand why the why the top riders especially appreciate and want something mm-hmm. as stiff and as accurate as that. Because, you know, if you're trying to almost second guess what you're potentially going to do on the exit of a turn rather than just be able to hit it fully committed, then it is it is going to make a difference if you're racing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, um, we'll move on from from that. And uh, our next question is, if I scroll through my notes very quickly, a lot of my mates have lots of dials and adjusters on their forks and shocks. I'm looking to upgrade my fork, but wondered whether I need all those extra adjustments or not. Rob, what's your take on that? No. <laughs> there you go. You wanted to keep it <laughs> quick, right? Didn't yeah. You? yeah. So I said at the beginning of this yeah. podcast, I was like, keep it snappy, guys. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I think... Um, eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no-surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples 
free shipping and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Again, it's just back to making sure the fork you have right now is doing everything it can as well as possible. So mm-hmm. getting it serviced and making sure it's working properly is the first, you know, is the key to it first and foremost. And again, like I said previously, speaking to a suspension tuner, they'll be able to make sure everything is set correctly for your weight, for your riding style. And uh, it, it just means then that you don't have to even think about going out twiddling dials, trying to work around. I, I think it's fair to say it's like, it's like a, you're trying to find a sweet spot. And if you don't even know where you're starting with that, you could just be chasing your tail the whole mm. time. Some forks, I think, have so much adjustment that you can go so far one way that, you know, it can have a really negative effect. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and the fine-tuning does take time. So, yeah, as I said at the start, no. Mm-hmm. I don't think you do need all those dials. I think um, they do provide a different feel, whether that's through compression or rebound. But uh, it's the working window uh, and the, that working window that the, you'll find that sweet spot doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same for every rider weight. So even if you your mate has the same fork, but he weighs 10 kilos more mm. and you just copy his adjustments, you're still going to be thinking, you're finding that, that the fork isn't going to be working quite mm-hmm. as well for you. So it is a case of um, if you do go down that route and, and do end up with a fork with all those adjusters, try and find out some base settings from a suspension tuner, potentially get it tuned or looked at first, um, and then head out and do some repeatable testing mm-hmm. to try and work out where it is. But no, in essence, you don't need all that stuff to still get the equivalent of performance. And in terms of the adjusters that are going to be on the forks, slightly separate from from the question, I guess, the likelihood is that your fork will have low-speed compression and low-speed rebound, and then a fancier fork that, maybe this uh, this person's mates have got might have got high speed compression and high speed rebound on them as well that's the likelihood if it's a, a grip to damper from fox for example yeah exactly yeah and um having four different things as well as the air spring and the spring volume to play with is is quite a bit to get your head mm. around especially if you're almost starting from scratch if you're a little bit you know inexperienced or you don't have that back catalog of mm-hmm knowledge around those sorts of things it it is quite a a daunting place to be Mm -hmm. on the uh the charity rides that we organized last year it was really interesting even some of the guys that came out on that who were engineers so clearly know their way around Mm -hmm. a calculator riding super fancy bikes and you sort of look down and see you know the o-rings barely moved a third a third of the way up the you know the stanchion and we're riding some of the knowledge tracks around you Mm -hmm. know golfy and stuff like that you ask them about their settings and they just sort of, I just pumped it up, just yeah. twiddled a couple of dials. I didn't really know what I'm doing. Not even sure which way to turn the dials. Mm-hmm. So I think having a basic fork set up either by yourself or by a professional mm-hmm. and eking out every bit of performance in that sense is way better than having a fork with all the adjusters and all the dials and you having no idea mm-hmm. and not having it looked at, you, you're never going to make the most of it. Yeah. Look, if you were to sort of get a fork which had all the pops and bangs and whistles and all that sort of jazz on it, how would you start like a base setup? What would you, what's your general rule of thumb for getting a fork? I've, I've heard him made the pops and bangs and whistles out. <laughs> <That's> what, <laughs> you follow him and he can go that fast. <laughs> They're doing all of that. So for me then, yeah, it's uh, 
It's to start with getting the air pressure correct. Mm-hmm. So the the spring is going to support the weight of the rider and the bike. So you want to get that. Make sure your sag is in the ballpark. So for for a suspension fork from like trail and enduro, it's around 18, 20% is a good a good space. Um RockShock very kindly print like a sag marker on their forks, mm. um, which is really useful. So getting the starting point would always be getting the the spring pressure correct. And then the your your spring pressure or your air pressure is going to determine your kind of your rebound damping that you need. So if you're a heavier rider and you have to have a lot more air in the fork to support the weight, you're going to have to have more rebound damping to control uh, when that air spring re-extends. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so then you kind of want to. It's a it's a tricky one to set up because it is a bit on personal preference, but you can have your forks and shock too slow. Yeah. Okay, and the fork or the shock won't have time to recover between successive bumps and it will pack down and it becomes very harsh and uncomfortable. So I'd always say try and make sure that your rebound, if you're bouncing in the car park, it will oscillate at least once mm-hmm. as such. So it will push back up and then sits back into its sack. If it you if it's so damp that it just returns slowly then and you get an oscillation, mm-hmm. then it's probably but you on the flip side you probably can go too fast, but I think it's probably rarer people have it set too fast than and too slow. Compression damping is where you kind of have more choice. It's often you have high and low speed compression damping on on forks. Some will just have low speed, but then I would set if you've got both, like on a Fox 38 Factory or Performance Elite fork or a, a high end RockShock fork and lots of other brands, I would open up high speed compression fully to start with. And then possibly twist it to negative as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. So twist it to negative as much as possible. So anti-clockwise. And then low speed setting would start just in the middle. Right. And 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 just go for a a, a run and see a feel. And then and play around with the low speed setting first. So Mm. then you might twist it two clicks negative to take off some compression. And then you might do the next run, twist it to clicks positive Mm -hmm. and see how they feel. And just think if was one better than the other. And if it was, then go, okay more back if you prefer that one try again until you're kind of honing on on what feels best for you and the terrain you're riding that day and once you've got one figured out then start to see if the just adding on a two clicks of high speed compression did it feel better or worse mm-hmm. if it was better add two more clicks on did it feel better or worse oh it's worse maybe go one back and 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 they call it bracketing and it's just trying right. to hone in on what on what settings work for you but yeah, and that that's kind of the uh, the most straightforward way to do it. Nice. And if we're getting a bit more into sort of our suspension tuning and setting up, Rob, are there any occasions where you'll change the setup of your suspension depending on the terrain you're riding? Mm, I would say possibly if you end up going somewhere from, you know, in the past it's maybe riding slow and tech stuff and then you, are, you go somewhere that's... Um, maybe flatter but faster Mm -hmm. and you might tweak settings potentially just to uh, factor that in Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's just from um riding in the dry and the fast through to the the slop and the mud just how the speeds sort of change quite a bit but generally not not loads to be honest tend to sort of find a sweet spot and if anything i'll generally change it where i'm swapping between brands yeah just because I might have got used to how one feels mm-hmm. and when I get on the other one, it feels kind of erratic or mm-hmm. a bit different and therefore I need to tweak it to try and find some middle ground. But yeah. 
How so, about you? Do you do you change much? Uh, I I do sometimes, like rarely. But if I find myself riding somewhere like particularly steep but not super rough, I might add a bit of compression damping just to sort of. If I don't really want to change the air spring, then I'll add a little bit of compression just to stop the fork from having so much downhill movement when I'm riding the bike, just to keep it propped up a little bit more. Um, but obviously that has an impact on how the fork feels in terms of sort of comfort. And I'm, I'm a comfort orientated rider. Um, I think a, a real good one, sorry, that just pops into my head is um, Alex, who who mm. lives up in, in Aleven. Mm. And um, if him and I compare our settings, they're all, you know, he weighs more than I do, but some of the forks will run I have more pressure in or the same pressure as him. Mm. And that's down to just the way in which you need to ride the bike mm -hmm. there because it's so tight and awkward yeah. and quite steep. Just being able to maintain front end grip as you're sort of tucking the front wheel around those awkward, steep turns. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's it's going to be really interesting. Al was just telling us about a setup day he did last week using data acquisition and how uh, it's a bike he's ridden previously and how much using the data shifted his preference or, mm. or the i guess the, the effectively the sweet spot of that setup from his own you know that he'd found himself riding his local tracks to riding somewhere different on the same bike mm. and he's now going to take that bike back home and see if it's gonna change everything for uh, him <laughs> it's gonna have to start fresh it's an, it's, it's an interesting chat this morning because it is when when there's like science and in inverted commas telling what to do and it's so different from what you're used to and you know Al's not a slow rider by any stretch and also very detailed and meticulous in his own setup so yeah. for that to be quite a, a significant change that this this computer told him to do it would be interesting to sort of hear what he thinks of it when he but I back. reckon I reckon when he goes up he's gonna he's he isn't gonna stay exactly as it is I yeah. reckon it will change I think I think people's in a lead and it's it's different to a lot of places yeah and i think you do need to if you want to make the most out of your bike you do need to tweak mm. it a little bit when you're riding there just looping back to something you said a, a couple of minutes ago you said you know if you're changing between dry and wet conditions obviously we're lucky that we ride many different places all the time so we, we, we ride different conditions on a, on a constant basis but if you're the kind of person who rides the same sort of trails you know week in week out the only sort of real change that's going to happen is they could be muddy or they could be dry. So what would you change if you were going from, say, the current muddy conditions, if you felt you had it set up really well and it suddenly dried out, what would you, would you speed things up, slow things down? I generally run my rebound pretty fast and I, it tends to sort of stay that way. Mm -hmm. If anything, it might just be adding a bit of compression. When if, you went to the dry conditions? Yeah, and going faster, yeah. potentially just hitting stuff a bit harder. It just means you want a bit more support at times. So I think... Again, it also depends on gradient mm -hmm. because I think sometimes if you're doing those really slow sliding down a bank mm -hmm. into a turn, you do want a bit of support there. Mm. But equally, you want it to be, you know, um, forgiving enough at the same time. So I think it's horses for courses to some yeah. extent. But yeah, generally, if if it gets faster, I might add a bit more mm -hmm. damping just to try and support things a bit. Cool. Okay, well, we'll head on to our last question, uh, which is, how do I pick a spring for my shock if I'm upgrading from an air shock to a coil shock on my Enduro bike? I know how much I weigh, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. It's a 2001 pivot switchblade, if that makes a difference. Luke, I think you've been looking at the numbers and maybe the bike. You've got any tips? Yeah, so first I think it's a 2021 yeah. pivot switchblade. Did I not say that right? I said that. You said, didn't you say 2001? I, 
I was like, wow, did they well, make them better? Yeah. <laughs> it's in 2021. It was with Faith. So it's a really, yeah. really, really <laughs> old bike. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, frustratingly, there is more to it yeah. than just your body weight. Yeah. So, yeah, so moving on to a coil spring, if you want to upgrade your coil spring from an air shock, yeah, to find out the right spring is, is you're never just going to pick it out of the hat, really. Like okay. the spring weight is going to be related to your rider weight and the weight of the bike, plus the suspension kinematics of the frame. So right. if you had bought a coil shock on one bike, you want to change it to another bike, chance that you'd have to change the spring as well to swap it over. Um, they're never to be linked between yeah, the, the frame's suspension design. Mm. So the best way to try and find out what's going to work is probably one first to contact the brand. Yeah. So is to try and get in touch with Pivot and say, this is the shock I'd like to put on my bike and I weigh this much, you know. Do you have any suggestions on a starting place for a spring weight? That's a, a good place to reach out. And then also you can do your own research online a little bit. There are several like spring calculators okay. out on the internet. Uh, you can easy to find on Google and they will ask you um, different metrics like your riding weight as such with you, you're fully kitted up. Um, they ask you the frame suspension travel, mm -hmm. the shock stroke. Um, they will ask, yeah, what kind of preference if you'd prefer to be, have it like supple and smooth or firm supportive. And there's basically an algorithm that will generate a recommended shock weight mm -hmm. or spring weight for that shock for your bike. Um, they will take into account whether it's a single pivot, some of them do, or a VPP or a four bar link. So, and, and it gives just a good approximation. Now, the problem is there's a couple of, uh, of issues with getting springs, coil springs for, for shocks is that the springs themselves aren't always 100% accurate. So why they are labeled as a certain weight that might be 450 pound or 500 or 550, um, you can't always guarantee that that's exactly going to be the weight of mm -hmm. the shock. So, or the weight of the, not the weight of the spring is in the mass yeah, of it, yeah. but. Because they're wound the to a tolerance, weight. aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be a bit of deviation there. So while it might give you an estimation, it's uh what you end up with might not actually feel quite how it says. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this time, these charts will give you a very exact number. So they might say you need a 423 pound spring. Ah, okay. Yeah. And manufacturers generally tend to make springs in 50 pound increments. So it might yeah. be 350, 400, 450. So then you have to decide whether you want to round up and have a slightly firmer feel or round down and have maybe a slightly plusher feel. Yeah. So... There's, there's no exact science to finding the perfect uh, coil spring for your bike. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a, perhaps a bit of trial and error, but yeah, speaking to the brand, using one of these calculators just to get a rough idea. And then um, and it might take you one or two different goes. You might put mm -hmm. a 450 on there and realize, oh, I actually need it better if I round up to the 500. Um, and it has to take into account your, the, your preference on how you want your bike to feel and the type of terrain you're riding. So... It's um, yeah. It's not as straightforward to set up a coil yeah. shock bike. And as you're gonna need a mate. Uh, you're gonna need a mate to help you measure the sag. Yeah, potentially you need someone to help you measure the sag. Get your tape measure out. Yeah. Yeah, it's not straightforward. Is yeah. it an upgrade that you would do, Rob? Probably not. <laughs> Luke. Oh, definitely not. No. I, I think. Have we just saved our listener 
five, six hundred quid. Thing is, air shocks are so good now. Yeah. Air shocks are so good, and you can adjust them to exactly what you need okay. with a pump. So maybe the answer is if you're, you know, if this person's shock is like knackered, either get it serviced yeah. and tuned. Like you could always get it tuned, like to be perfect, or uh, replace it with another air shock. What would be the advantage of a coil shock? Because they're not, you know, air shocks and coil shocks are different. So maybe I really, really does want a coil shock. What what would they, what um, they find? I think it depends. It depends on the bike to a degree because I think, um, you know, some brands will say oh, you can run an air or a coil, mm. and it's just going to have a slightly different feel, especially mm. sort of through the mid stroke, where the coil is going to be more supple off the start, and then through the mid generally has a bit more support, mm-hmm. but then that sort of arguably drops off a little bit in comparison to the air shock, which might feel a little bit softer and comfier through the middle, but then ramps up a bit because mm-hmm. air springs just ramp up more mm-hmm. because of the way they're designed the coil shock will probably also feel more consistent over longer runs in yeah. the mountains for example just because the heat buildup doesn't affect the spring in the same way it does mm-hmm. an air spring so i would say that's the sort of the main things yeah but it all depends you know if you're looking for tenths of seconds and you're so in tune with your bike that you can notice every you know millimeter of travel that you're using through the mid stroke and all of those sorts of things go for it yeah but i would say don't do it just because you see some pros doing it i mean they look pretty cool they do look cool they're also heavy though they are also heavy you add in a bit more weight which isn't you know end of the world by any stretch but oh you raced that last ews with a coil shot didn't you and you said you'd happily stick an air shock on Uh, yeah my preference is for air shocks like as a for my riding style, I prefer having a bit more comfort in the mid-stroke. I, I don't benefit lots and enjoy having like um, yeah, the middle portion of the suspension not using the travel that's available. I feel it gives you too much feedback. And I'm not a real like pumpy and poppy rider, so I'm not super playful where I want that support to push back. I prefer the wheel just to track the ground and, and find traction. But, but that just suits me. So I would always just stick with an air shock. Um, it's not to say a core shot doesn't have advantages if you if you mm. like that like that mid stroke support and you like to pump and pop and push and and you get that feedback. For me, it's uh, it's yeah, I prefer the other way. Yeah, I think that is back to that setup thing, though, isn't it? It's trying to work it out, and if you're starting from scratch, it's a real pain in the ass. It genuinely is, mm. especially if you feel like you end up between spring rates. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're then going, well, am I going to compromise then by running more damping that I don't really want to stick on there just to try and counter the fact that I'm either going, you know, too firm or yeah. potentially too soft on the spring? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I've got that EXT shock on the gig. Ask, that yeah. thing is, to be fair, though, that thing <laughs> is, is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that thing is really good. But it costs nearly a £1,000. So it better be. Yeah. You know, how, and so. how was the setup with that then? Were you looking at the... I guess you got a medium-sized frame. Was the spring on the medium the sp- that came with stock right? Or? So, yeah, the spring was spot on for me. Mm-hmm. And then what I did was I messaged Chris Porter. Reach <laughs> <laughs> out to the brand first. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm he's like, the guy who distributes EXT. Yeah, and he, he has a hand in the development as well. Right. So he knows it inside out. And obviously his distribution company take care of all the tuning for those mm-hmm. in the UK. And... Yeah, off the top of his head, he's like, yeah, okay, he was actually on holiday at the time. He's like, yeah, 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 we've had some gigas through the door. Here's the settings I'd start with. Mm. So I kind of, I could just get a base setting straight away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I will play around with it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's kind of part of our job, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But 
equally when I've jumped on bikes in a rush trying to set stuff up, if it is an air shock, it just slows yeah, things down. 10 minutes Sorry. Job, it? Yeah, oh, but oh, if yeah, it's a coil shock, shock, it just slows yeah, it all yeah. down. Yeah, air shock is done in minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm quite lucky that the vast majority of the bikes I tested exiting trail bikes and <laughs> as yet coils haven't really started to make an effect. I did have a coil shock on a long-term bike back in uh, 2018 2017 what was that it was my um transition uh, uh, yeah. scout and I loved that bike and I had a Cane Creek DBN line yeah uh, on there which we we put on like a little I guess at the lighter end of the scale of, of coil shocks but just I think my my sort of memory of, of coil shocks and suspension from coil is clouded by the fact that I just loved that bike so much that it could yeah. do no wrong. That bike was amazing oh, though. Man. <laughs> I, still, you, I still love it now. Would you take that or the Marin, Tom? <laughs> oh, you can't oh, ask no. me that. You can't ask me that. I was going to say both. Oh yeah, I want both. <laughs> the Marin was heavier despite having no rear suspension. But, um, <laughs> yeah, to... Uh, how about... How about the Scout as it finished, or the Marin in its original build, Ooh, not your super pimp. Not the super pimp OG. Mm. I think, I think the Scout. So for, I finished the Scout. Finished off with like a nice. Well, it had a, like a nice Shimano group set. It had fast forward carbon hoops, which were pretty nice back then. Twenty seven five. I had a pair of Marys, which you know, a Magic Mary tires, which are still I think the perfect all rounder tire in the UK. Had the the latest gen at the time, Top End Pike. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the damper on it now, but it was it was Pike Ultimate, and that coil shock. Oh, it's just the memories. Oh, and a pair of um, Formula Cure of four pot brakes or two pot brakes. Did you blow the shocks? Uh, no, I blew the shock on. I had a Canyon Spectral uh, DB in my yes, air, that's... Uh, and I went for a ride quite early on in my time with that bike, and I was I was absolutely railing some corners I was like oh my god this bike corners so well this is incredible and then I looked down and realised that the shock had blown and it was because the bike was like sitting 60-70 mil into its travel and it was just slammed and no wonder it cornered well <laughs> so yeah there it's we go it's good to hear how, how in tune everyone is alright <laughs> <laughs> well um, thank you guys for uh, your answer to those questions hopefully um, you've informed lots of people who've been listening to this podcast now as I said um, we are going to be running um, topic specific tech Q&As um, over the course of this year and the next ones are road uh, gears road drivetrains and mountain bike drivetrains so if you've got any questions on any of those topics pop them through to podcast at bikecreator.com uh, but yeah we'll finish there so thank you ever so much Luke thank you Tom and thanks Rob cheers Tom and we'll catch you all next time Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 